Hi, I'm Pastor James, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church in Hillsborough, Oregon. Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. Our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so each weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please visit our website at www.isunrise.com, I-S-O-N-R-I-S-E.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you, grow along the journey of life with others, develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost, and then learn how to lead other people to know Jesus Christ. Now, on to our weekend message. We were at camp out, and one of the opportunities we had was to take the van somewhere else, and we had all gotten in the van and piled in, and it took a few more minutes, as you know, sometimes, to get everybody together. And because there are a lot of children on bicycles and skateboards everywhere, I had checked the back of the van to see that it was clear, but, you know, three or four minutes later, who knows? And so I get in the van, and I ask Mary Beth, I said, would you go and just clear the back, make sure that there's uh, no little cute little kid on a bicycle or something like that? And uh, I use uh, that as an opportunity to teach Josiah. I said, you know, sometimes you just can't see everything that's around you. He's learning to drive. And so I did a lesson on blind spots. A little bit later, I got him in the passenger seat. And I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you. And I'm going to walk around the van. And you can see me. And let me know when you can't see me anymore. And I got into the blind spot. And if you know, you've been driving for years, you know there are blind spots, right? And uh, depending on the car, depending upon the way it's shaped, a, a bigger blind spot, less of a blind spot. I used to have a Mini Cooper convertible. The whole back was a blind spot. You couldn't see anything. You know, uh, We don't have a backup camera on our car. And I was explaining that there are times when you're driving that, that the most important, crucial thing for you to do is to stop looking in your mirrors and looking all in front of you and to turn over and look, to maybe reach over and to look back behind you. Or if there's a passenger in that seat, ask them, can you check my blind spot? And I said, that's really kind of how life is because, you know, when you think about it, we can cause tremendous damage to other people if we're not paying attention to our blind spots. And as a pastor, as a leader, I know that. I've been in ministry for so many years now that I've seen pastors and leaders uh, rise up and then just crash and fall because they weren't aware of their blind spots. They weren't aware of the danger of blind spots. They didn't allow anybody to come in and you know kind of expose their blind spots. Or they weren't consistent enough in checking behind them to recognize that that blind spot is probably going to be with me my whole life. It might be a character flaw. It might be a fatal flaw. It might be something that you can grow through. But we all will have to the day we die blind spots. And we need God, his word, and other people, his family, to surround us to be able to point out the blind spots in our life. And then I started to dialogue with him about the fact that, you know, as I was thinking about this sermon, that's kind of how it is in life. You know, we can live our lives in such a way and drive the car of our lives in such a way that we start focusing so much on one direction that God drifts into our blind spot and we can't see God anymore. Think about Abraham. 
Abraham, what is he known as? Hebrews 11, a man of faith. For crying out loud, he travels across Mesopotamia. He leaves everything because God spoke to him and it's all about faith. His journey is all about faith. God promises him a son and all these beautiful promises about land and his descendants and blessing and fame and all this. And and he believes it and he's a man of faith and he acts on that faith. But in a moment of weakness, God had drifted into his blind spot And the only thing he could see was, I have to take matters into my own hands. And he takes Hagar, his handmaiden, and he has a baby, Ishmael. And then later, Isaac is born, the promised son. And so you have these two sons. And in a moment when his faith, which he's known for, faltered, he had these two descendants. And we can admit that 4,000 years later, the brothers are still fighting, right? (laughs) Absolutely. There is no peace in the Middle East because of that right there, you know. It's understanding our blind spot and how God can drift into it sometimes and we can lose focus. Or you go through and you look at Job. Job was a contemporary of Abraham. And Job is a story. He's a man of impeccable character, incredibly blessed by God. God has been generous to him. Job has a great heart for God, passion for God. As you read through the book of Job, you discover he was a wealthy man who had a lot of crops, livestock, great family. He ministered to others, though. He used all that to influence others for good. He was a man of justice. He cared for widows. He cared for orphans. He was known in the city street, the court there of the elders, as a just man. And then everything fell apart. And he started by trusting God. But here this guy of incredible patience and incredible blessing of God. In a moment when God moved into his blind spot and he could no longer see God, he began to doubt God's goodness to him. All the evidence of it seemed to be gone. Or you take a look at Moses. Moses was a man uh, that was also known as a man of faith. The Bible says he was the meekest or most humble guy to live on the earth. And yet, anger... At a couple key times in his life were defining moments when seemingly God had moved into his blind spot. So here is this man of faith and this man of meekness and humility. And yet when he was 40 years old, in anger, he kills someone and tries to bury him in the sand to hide it, right? And then later, later, way later on, his anger causes him to act out in such a way that God then says, because of that, you will not go into the promised land. When God moved into his blind spot, he took matters into his own hand and his anger took over. Or you look at David. Uh, he had everything anybody could ever want. A young man, he had killed a giant. That's pretty great on your resume if you ask me. You know, and, and he was a great warrior and, and he was a known leader. He was wealthy. He had uh, silver and gold. He had horses. He had all these things. He had the palace. He had all this. And God had said he was a man after my own heart. How could you go beyond that, right? But in a moment when he saw something his heart couldn't have, he decided to take it anyway and to kill her husband. And a man after God's own heart had a moment when God moved into his blind spot and all he could see was this person in front of him and that's what he wanted. And he no longer considered God. You and I can do that. We can blow up our lives if we live our lives in such a way that God moves into our blind spot. I think the Bible declares that sometimes God will move into our blind spot just to test us, just to see how we're going to live. Sometimes we live our lives in such a way that God moves into our blind spot. Sometimes we're disappointed with God. Sometimes we're angry at God. Sometimes we're bitter at God. I was in my 20s as a youth pastor and I loved God. And I loved ministry as a youth pastor. I was passionate about ministry, about young people, about God, his word, the church, and things like that. But I was still single. And so I'm reaching the end of my 20s. And my loneliness turned to bitterness. 
And I looked at God, and I, I didn't verbalize it this way, but these were my feelings. Now, wait a minute. After all I've done for you, ouch. You know, I've kept myself pure. I've done all these things. And, and I'm pouring my heart into ministry, and I'm broke, God. The ministry is killing my finances. I, I, I don't have any money. I've got to work extra jobs just to make it. And, and I'm pouring myself into ministry. I'm doing youth. I'm leading worship at my church. I'm plugged into a college group in the Boise area. And yet, I, I'm lonely inside, God. You know the longing of my heart is to be connected to someone. And my loneliness turned to bitterness, and God moved into my blind spot. Well, the beautiful thing about this is that I was reading through the book of Psalms. I tell you, it's a regular habit of mine to read the book of Psalms every month, the book of Proverbs every month. I've been doing it for 20, 30 years, uh, depending on the season of my life. And I was in the book of Psalms and I was reading it. And it was in that moment that Psalm 73 popped into my life. Right in the vision, right in front of me, a Psalm of ASAP. And I want you to turn there in your Bible. It's page 446 in your chair Bible. By the way, I said that last night to the people at the campsite. And they're like, what are you talking about? There was no chair. There was no chair Bible. Um, I want to talk about what happens when we get our eyes off of God. Get our eyes onto others, and then we get our eyes onto ourselves. And how damaging that can be. Um, Now, one of the categories of the book of Psalms is called lament. Lament is the largest category of Psalms. Next week, we're going to look specifically, directly at a lament psalm. And uh, one of the leaders of Grief Share, the organization, is coming to do our conference next week. She will stay the weekend and help me with the message. Talk about lament. Now, what is a lament? The, The dictionary definition of lament is to passionately express grief or sorrow. To express regret or disappointment, to complain. So if any of you kids, uh, you know, young folks, you, you, you hear your mom say, stop whining. You go, I'm not whining, mom. I'm lamenting. <laughs> Sounds much more biblical. All right. All right. There we go. Um, one of the key themes of the whole Bible, the Old Testament in particular, is why do bad things happen to good people or seemingly bad things happen to seemingly bad people? Or why do the wicked prosper when the righteous suffer? That's one of the constant themes. Why is there injustice in the world? I love the fact that the Bible is brutally honest about the fact that sometimes it doesn't pay to follow God, right? In the terms of what we might think it would pay or what other people might think it would pay. That in other people's eyes, there might not be a benefit in doing it because we are the ones that get oppressed. We are the ones... That suffer at times. And throughout the Old Testament in particular, you see uh, the book of Job. It is a song, a story of lament. When life doesn't make sense, what do you do? You cry out to God. But what if he doesn't answer? And you pour out your lament. Jeremiah is a beautiful book. And Jeremiah has several laments through the book of Jeremiah. When he's crying on a distress and it doesn't make sense. And everything unjust is happening in the nation, in his life. And he cries out. In fact, he wrote a whole book about the lament. Do you know the title? Wait for it. Lamentations. Okay, all right. Okay, that's specifically, uh, you know, a, a, a lament or a weeping over someone who's passed. But when life doesn't make sense, I love how the Bible is honest with us that sometimes it doesn't seem to pay to follow God. And that is the exact situation that ASAP is dealing and wrestling with. That's what I was wrestling with. All of a sudden, God moves into ASAP's blind spot and he can't see God anymore. All he can see are the people in front of him and all around him. And so this is what he says. And we're just going to look at the verses, 28 verses. He says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And here's the key right here. It all turns on this phrase. But as for me, 
See, Asaph was uh, a worship leader of Israel. He was a song leader of Israel. So he was involved in representing God to the people. He led the people in worship. And I could resonate with this because I was a worship leader. I was a youth pastor, but, you know, if you ever know that, you kind of do that plus whatever else. And I could play guitar, so I led worship in my church. And so here he is writing this psalm. He says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. This is his thesis right here. This is everything he's going to talk about. He said, things were going well. I'm leading worship. I'm doing everything fine. I'm keeping my heart pure. And then I had a moment where God moved into my blind spot. And my eyes were focused on all these other people. And it didn't make sense anymore. And life started to fall apart. Um, He goes on to describe this, and this is a little bit humorous, a little bit over the top, but look what he says here about these people. They have no struggles. Now, if anybody's ever been there, you know that's not true, but it seems like that, right? It looks like that. I mean, come on, you can keep up with the Kardashians and you can see their struggles, but they're still making millions of dollars on their stupid little app on their phone, right? I mean, yeah, they got struggles, but they've got millions of dollars, okay? So it seems like they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil conceits of their mind know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. So they're now, this is an injustice situation here. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. And this is the, the wrap of that, that the next few verses. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. All their followers, all their Twitter followers, all their Facebook followers, all their fans, all the people that have posters of them in their bedrooms when they're little kids, they drink this up. In abundance, they say, how can God know? Does the most high have knowledge? As a result of the way these people live, other people are not living godly as well. And they're scoffing God because these people scoff God. That this is what the wicked are life. Always carefree. They increase in wealth. Uh, while we were at camp, I, I don't know why, but one of my sons asked me, we were talking about something and, and he must have read it somewhere in a book. But he asked me the question, dad, what's, what's the A-list? I thought, well, if you have to ask, you're not on it, first of all. I said, well, the A-list is the way we talk about people. The A-list is like the, you know, the, the top people. So the, the real wealthy people, the real beautiful people, the real famous people, the real talented people, the real athletic people, whatever it is in basketball and baseball and sports and Wall Street and finance and in Hollywood and all these areas, we have the A-list, right? And that's what the paparazzi hangs around with. And they, they take photos of A-list celebrities and everybody wants to be an A-list person. And an A-list person is someone you envy because you wish you could be like them. That's the A-list, I explained. And the reality is that's what this guy's talking about. I looked at the A-list and I looked at me and I didn't have any of that stuff. Now, one of the truths of the Bible and the truths of culture, you can see this, is that in most places and in most times and most eras, people, a small group of people will rule and they will use that as a tool to oppress others. That's the sinfulness of our hearts. Reality says this, the Bible exclaims this, our own hearts prove this, that for most people in most places and most times, a small group of people rule and they are the ones that sit at a specific table. And if we start looking at that table and longing for that table, we will give up our very souls to sit at that table. 
And that's what ASAP is doing. He's looking out at the popular people, at the wealthy people, at the celebrities. He's looking out at the people that seem to have no problems but have everything, and they're completely ungodly. And it's not making sense, and his heart is starting to be filled with envy because of the A-list. Now, he says a cool thing. He says, my foot had nearly lost its foothold. I almost slipped. Now, it's not because he's walking in some beautiful, you know, clover-lined path, and he just kind of trips. This is a mountain climbing experience. This is when he's hanging on the edge of a precipice and he's grabbing with one hand and his foot is reaching for a foothold. Psalmist described, David describes God as a solid rock. Well, he's trusting God as a solid rock and he puts his foot on what he thinks is a solid rock and he realizes my foot had almost slipped. Because, now this is what he's thinking and this is what he's writing about. I nearly lost my faith. I nearly turned away from God because the foothold that I was trusting in, my faith in God, it seemed to not hold me anymore. Let's be honest, folks, in church here. We have to express this. We have to talk about this. There are deep doubts in our minds sometimes. There are moments when we think, is serving God really worth it? Is it really pay in whatever way we think it should pay? And ASAP says, I almost slipped and I almost fell to my death. I almost lost total faith in God. I almost lost it all. I almost crumbled down. Asaph was on the verge of abandoning his faith. Why? Well, first of all, he's confused. He has his eyes on the wrong people, right? Uh, He's frustrated. It's not going the way he thought or the way he thought God promised him. He's angry. People all around him are being taken advantage of. And more than that, he looks in the mirror and realizes he's being taken advantage of. And so he's bitter. His own heart is starting to trouble. And this is what he says here. He says, surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. That was me, 28 years old. I've been an idiot. Because all my other friends, all these other people are doing all this other stuff. And they seem to be enjoying their life. And I've been working hard to keep my heart pure. And Have I been foolish? He says, in vain I have kept my heart pure. That's an honest statement. I hope we can speak like this. Because when we feel it, we better be honest, right? In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been plagued. This is now how he describes his faith. He describes his leadership in the, in the nation of Israel. This is how he sees his Christianity, if we'll call it that, okay? It's Old Testament. But his worship of God. It's, I've had, I've, I tried to keep myself pure to follow the rules, to, to be blessed by that. And then really I look now and it's a plague. My faith is a plague on my life. It's ruined me. He says, I have been punished every morning. I love the honesty of the Psalms. Most of us dare not be so honest and say, I think my faith is a sham. I think my worship of God is worthless. I think that everything that I've been following is not working out. I love it, though, when people get to that point and they're honest. And this guy gets to this point and he's honest. He goes, I think I've been a fool for following God. I love it. I love it because that's how I started to think as a young person. I've known uh, quite a few atheists who are mad at God. I always chuckle at that inside, not out to them. But I always laugh at that when people are so angry and bitter at God, the God who doesn't exist. But my friends, I have found far more Christians who are angry and bitter at God because they're disappointed in God. Their marriage didn't work out. Their dreams didn't work out. Their hopes didn't work out. Their friendships didn't work out. Their business didn't work out. Their finances didn't work out. I mean, you fill in the blank. I thought if I were to do this, God, you promised to do this. 
And I did all this and you didn't do that. And so now I'm just bailing on you. And they're angry at God because I deserve, right? I deserve a a marriage. I deserve a good marriage. I deserve a better marriage. I deserve children. You haven't delivered God. I deserve success in my business. I deserve the better grade. I've worked harder than anyone else and I haven't gotten in. We're angry at God. This guy expresses his anger at God. I love it. Somehow God had moved into his blind spot and all he can see is I'm serving God. But we could look now and say, well, he wasn't really serving God. He was serving himself, right? Or he was serving God for what he got out of God. And then he goes on to say this. He says, if I had said, now he wakes up. If I had spoken like this, I would have betrayed your children. Because he's a leader. He would have led others astray, right? He could have caused tremendous damage in the nation of Israel if he would have gone off the rails completely and crashed. Because a lot of people would have followed potentially him. He says, when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Here it is. Till I looked over my shoulder. And I saw that God was there all the time. God had moved into my blind spot. I was looking at others. I was looking at myself in the mirror. I didn't see God, but all I had to do was just turn around and realize he's there. God is there. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. He spends time with God. This is known as a paradigm shift. Um, I was talking to my boys about this some time ago. A humorous story. It's a leadership story in one of the books I read. And um, these uh, makers of very strong glass. You've heard of like Gorilla Glass and things like that. Uh, Really strong glass. They're trying to uh, advertise their glass to locomotive uh, companies to put in the front of the locomotives. Because as these locomotives travel down the rails at a very fast speed, oftentimes birds, you know, come and hit them. You know, kind of like the situation with airplanes. And they get into the turboprops and things like that. And they were cracking the windshields. And so they, they sent out this statement to, to the locomotive companies. We've tested this glass by throwing, now please don't send me emails, by throwing chickens at this glass at 100 miles an hour and the glass doesn't break. Okay? Now, uh, dead chickens, or at, at some point they were. Um, <laughs> hey, listen, I have a dozen chickens. That sounds good some days. And, um, and they, anyway, and so, um, so they said this is fine. So then the locomotive company gets the glass, puts it in, and does their own test, and it doesn't work. The glass shatters. The glass cracks every time. In fact, the bird comes just flying through and could have killed the conductor or the the engineer. And they write back and they go, no, it's not working. They go, what do you mean it's not working? We do our tests, and so they go and show up and come to find out the locomotive people are hurling frozen chickens at 100 miles an hour. (laughs) And the people who make the glass are going, what do you... Why are you throwing frozen chickens? And they go, well, that's what you said. It's like, that's not what we said at all. That's what they thought as soon as they heard it. And then when they realized, both both sides realized they had a paradigm shift. Oh, okay. A a little piece of information changes the whole story, right? Yeah. That's what happens here. Just a little piece of information changes the whole story. He goes in and hangs out with God. He looks over his shoulder, sees God's right there, spends time with God. And now this little piece of information begins to make sense. And it clears up everything for him. He says, surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed. Completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes. 
So when you arise, O Lord, you will despise him as fantasies. This is kind of interesting. As, you know, one awakes from a dream. If you ever had a dream where you're being chased or something bad's going on and, you know, it's maybe you're in the dream and you're aware that it's a dream, but you got to wake up and you wake up, everything's fine. It's like, I was in a dream. I was in this fog. Uh, the other, uh, yes, two days ago, I woke up. And I woke up to a dream and uh, I was in the little pop-up tent and I was there and my dream was this. Uh, it was, it was, a, it was a fun one. Um, my wife had found a way to travel back in time and she had gotten stuck back there. And so she was writing messages to me and placing them in books she knew I would read. And so I would open up a book. There'd be a message from my wife about her situation. So that could make a really good movie, but it was kind of one of those I'm panicking because I don't know how to help my wife because she's stuck back in time. These are my dreams and uh, you can have your own dreams. And, um, and so, and I wake up and it's like, ah, oh, she's right there. It's like, I'm fine. Okay. So that's one of the pictures. But the better part of this is when he goes on, he says, when you arise, O Lord, God, when you wake up from your slumber, are you taking a nap on me, God? Because when you wake up, something really is going to happen. I love that picture of the disciples of Jesus in a boat. And they're traveling across the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is exhausted from ministry. And he's asleep in the boat. And the waves come up and the storm, the wind. It, it begins to be treacherous. And they're bailing water. And they're, trying, they're fishermen. They know how to survive, right? But they're deathly afraid of dying and drowning. And they finally wake up Jesus. And you know their question? It's more of a statement. Lord, don't you care? Which, if you break it down, if he's Lord, he does care, right? It's like Peter in Acts 9. He says, but Lord. It's like those words don't go together, my friends. If he's Lord, you can't argue with him. Lord, don't you care? And in a moment, Jesus wakes up and he just, with a word, everything is calm. So this psalmist says, just like that, just like not not just me waking up and realizing it's a dream, but God is going to wake up. And when God wakes up, something's going to happen. And he says this. Now here it is. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered. I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. He looks back and he goes, ah, so foolish. I was so foolish. I was like an animal, a wild animal, you know, biting the hand of the person that fed him. I didn't even understand. And then finally he concludes with this. And this is just, just beautiful. I love this. He says, yet I'm always with you. Here's the real perspective. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterwards you'll take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? Man, if you want to underline a Bible verse, that's it. Whom I have in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Man, when that hit my heart years ago, I didn't believe it quite yet. But man, the more I dwelt on it, meditated on this, it changed me. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. Now, see, that's the reality now. He realizes all those A-list people, they're far from God. You know what? They're getting everything their heart desires, but that's all they're going to get. I get you, God. If you ever get frustrated about the wicked prospering and injustice ruling, just realize they're reaching out for everything they can in this life. But this is the only life they get. We get another life with God. And he says here, all who are unfaithful to you, you will destroy all who are unfaithful to you. And then he wraps it up and it's such a beautiful closure. But as for me, here's this phrase again. But as for me, he starts with saying, but as for me, I almost fell. I almost slipped. My foot almost lost its hold on the truth. And he concludes after seeing 
that he's lived his life in such a way that God was in his blind spot. As he spends time with God, he says, but as for me, it's good to be near God. I don't know where the sanctuary was, if it was the literal sanctuary, if he went into the temple, if he went into the altar, or if he kind of got in his prayer closet, or if he got in a space where it's just him and God. But he moved into the presence of God. And when he moved into the presence of God, he realized some things about other people, about himself, and about God. And he says, here's my conclusion. It's good to hang out with God. Because when I hang out with God, everything else makes sense. The I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. Sovereign means, uh, in our term, he's large and in charge. Okay, he's the boss. He's the big boss, right? He's sovereign. He's the master controller. You can come to him. And he's my refuge. You can run to him as a place of safety. And then he says, I will tell of all your deeds. And now, 3,000 years later, we're reading about it, right? We're still reading about it. I love it. It helped me. About 25, 24 years ago, it helped me. The sovereign Lord has been my refuge. Now, there's a, there's a really cool thing here. If you read it a lot, you can, you, you, all of a sudden it pops out. The answer is found in the pronouns. What does he start with? He starts with them or they. That's his focus. Other people. And then as the psalm progresses, the pronouns are I. Now it's about me. I'm looking in the mirror. It's not fair, God. And then the pronoun switches to you. And he starts looking at God. And then he concludes with you and I. I like that. I like that a lot. Because that's you and that's me. We will look at others. And then we'll look in the mirror. And we're not happy. But the answer is found in looking at God. And realizing that when we look at God and we hang out with God, you and I, God's going to make all of this clear. Asaph didn't see God move into his blind spot until it was too late. Because he focused on others. He focused on himself. But when he hung out with God, my friends. Now, so I, I've developed a few things that helped me throughout the years on this. Especially in that time when I was getting embittered toward God. And I just want to draw a conclusion of this. Some things I've learned from Psalm 73. And as a pastor for, for many years, all of us get our eyes off of God at times. It's fact, my friends. It's a fact. I preached this last night at Camp Out, Fort Stevens, and I had a couple people come up to me, but one in particular, a dear old friend, give me a hug and say, that was the message. God hit me between the eyes of the two by four. I needed it. All of us get our eyes off of God sometimes. Fact, my friends. And we begin to compare ourselves with our condition and the circumstances of the wicked. That is natural. So don't be surprised when it happens. But two, don't let yourself slip into envy or you'll destroy your own joy. When I talk to Christians who are angry and are bitter at God, one of the questions, not at first, but later I ask is, so tell me, why have you been serving God? For what you get out of God? Because I can see that if that's what you're doing, you're going to be angry and bitter. Are you serving God for you? Or are you serving God for God? The third thing that I've learned throughout the years is when life doesn't make sense, hold on to what you know for sure. That's what Asap did. Never doubt in the darkness what God has taught you in the light. And finally, God is the ultimate judge. This is the, the part that should change our perspective on the wicked. God is the ultimate judge and his judgment is completely just. Cling to Jesus in both the good and the bad times of life. And so the bottom line, my friends, is this. Is that when you used to envy the wicked, now you pity the wicked because you start to see where their life is going. It's to destruction. And, and they're burning the candle at all ends. And they're pouring everything into this life. And yet it's going to crumble fast. How many 
<laughs> How many rich people go bankrupt? How many you know, people that are famous blow up their lives because they can't sustain the rate of the burn? But that burn looks pretty attractive for a while, right? And all of a sudden we start to look out and I believe as followers of Christ, we should have a heart of compassion for people that are living outside the will of God. We should have a heart to pour into them and say, you know, I know, I know you're living this way, but have you ever asked the question, why are you doing this? What's fueling all this? Are you empty? Are you lonely? Who are you performing for? What are you really getting out of all this? And I, I, don't, I don't know, you know, every person here, everybody's heart, but I would say this. If you're here and you're just kind of burning like that and you're running like that, maybe, maybe nobody else even knows it around you. There's a God that loves you. And there's a God that sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come to give his life for you. And Jesus took the justice side of the punishment for you so you don't have to take it. But you've got to come to him. You've got to trust him for salvation. You've got to believe in him and he will cleanse you. The Bible says that we confess with our mouth. When we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, when we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. We will get a new creation, a new life. God's spirit moves inside of us and he gives us a very purpose for living. But also for Christians, for followers of Jesus who've been there for years especially, um, it's tough sometimes when you look around and it doesn't make sense. And you thought you'd signed up for this and you realize you're getting this. You know, just come to God, cling to him. There's a song I just love. It's an old hymn. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Those of you who know it, what does it say? And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't let God drift into your blind spot. I'm going to pray in just a moment, but I encourage you to grab the message notes and put together eight questions for you back there, six questions back there that'll help you as you process through this individually or with the group and your family. But let's pray together. Father God, I want to thank you for your love and I want to thank you for your patience with us and your kindness to us. God, man, your generosity knows no bounds. You are so patient when we go off and we're like a brute beast, an ignorant raving lunatic before you sometimes because our eyes have been off of you onto others onto ourselves god like asap may we move in such a place where we draw close to you and all of a sudden everything makes sense it just clicks in that moment god may our passion and our burden then be for people that are out there burning their lives up pursuing the things that everybody else says is the best but we know in our hearts Is it a life of emptiness and brokenness and betrayal and deception? Give us a heart for those people as well. And may we always turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face so that all of the things of this world will dim as we keep our eyes on you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.